previously on the Sports Refuge Podcast. My entire life changed. I was limited. I, present day, still feel like a prisoner trapped in my own body. From Delaware, almost live, this is the Sports Refuge Podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. Welcome to episode 53 of the Sports Refuge, the weekly interview show where guests discuss their connection with sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland. At 26 years old, Benny Pinella has done a lot in his radio career. With aspirations of being on the air since the age of five, Pinella now has his own music show, his own sports podcast, all while working on the sales side of the industry at iHeartRadio Delaware. In this episode, which is the first of two parts, Benny and I discuss how he got the broadcasting bug the ever-changing face of the radio industry, and what the future of the industry will be as many radio legends begin to wind down their careers. We'll also discuss content creation on a variety of mediums, professional wrestling, the evolution of sports, and much more. Right now, here's part one of my interview with Benny Pinella. This week, my guest, Benny Pinella, is someone I've known since I've been working in radio again for the past year plus, I first met Benny when I started working at iHeartRadio Delaware, and he's been very helpful since I've been here, just helping me get back into the, the swing of things doing radio. And Benny has his own podcast show, The Pat and Benny Show, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, just talk about so many things. But I'm glad to have you on the show. Benny, how are you today? I'm doing very well, Earl. Has it already been a year? Uh, yeah, I was here since July 2018. Oh my goodness. I was going to say, it, it, it felt like a year, but I know it was a year already. Yeah, wow. I'll tell you, man, time flies. It really does. It just, next thing you know, you're all of a sudden like 40 and then boom, you're wondering <laughs> where all the time went. Well, it's good to be here, man. I, I'm excited. I'm excited to be on the show. Yeah, man. Thank you for being on the show. One of the first things I wanted to ask you was, how did you get an interest in radio? Because I know that mm-hmm. you got to have a passion for it because I know while radio has changed, a lot of these guys that I've talked to in the past who've been experienced in it, they've been up and down the roads and done yep. the grind and things like that, working late nights and, and doing all this other stuff. But how did you fall in love with radio? How did I fall in love with radio? I have a very local, weird, interesting story. Um, ever since I was a kid, I remember my mom would put the the radio on and she'd always turn it down when like the traffic and weather reports would come on. And I, me and my brother in the back seat would do them. And I was I always like really put in like, you know, not my time, but like I, I put in a lot of effort to like always try to like get the traffic reports sounding as good as I could. It's something stupid and small, but over time I just kind of like realized I really did enjoy doing something as simple as sitting in the back seat of my mom's car when I was five years old and, and just talking, you know, and acting like I was on the radio. And after that, when I went to high school, I found an opportunity to get involved in media. Uh, St. Mark's had a media uh, program, did a little bit with that, um, got involved with a couple of local radio programs. A couple of guys gave me an opportunity to intern, so I did that. Then I went off to college, and I really fell in love with radio and broadcasting then. And I've done radio. I've done TV. I've worked those late nights, those 3 a.m.s before, uh, overnight shifts before. And, I mean, I've, I've, done, I've done a lot in the business, and just being a 26-year-old, you're like, well, how much could you have done? I mean, there's pretty much not much that I haven't done. I've, you know, I'm on both the marketing side, the production side, the programming side, on air. I've cut commercials. I've reported traffic news. Um, I reported on the the election. I've I've done a lot of cool things in my life, and um, I mean, 
I guess the the kind of genesis of it all started in the back of my mom's car. And, you know, and for some people, it's a little bit different. But for me, it was just in the back of my mom's car listening to a couple of local radio people. And I've been in love with it ever since. I've always, and, and, and that's a unique story, and, and everybody's story is so different. And I always thought about it that you hear about, especially some of the older DJs, how mm-hmm. one day they just got there starting radio. They just came to the studio. was like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, come on, sit down and watch this, you know, work a couple yeah. of things for free, and then eventually you work your way in. And it's just so crazy. I feel like now, especially since we are, you know, born in the 80s and early 90s and things like that, time has changed and things have changed oh. where now it's not as easy as it was back in the old days. It almost seems like now – Stations don't really like you unless you have like a big social media profile or something like that, or like you're you're already a personality. Like, it, and that's not to say like stations don't like to develop talent, but kind of feels like they they just don't want to you know put their time into developing someone. They'd rather just have a finished product. Yeah, no, and I, I agree with that completely because now you see all these legends are starting to retire or die off. How are you going to find the next oh, star? They're, and they're not. That's the thing is that they're just not like it. Like you know, uh, you know, we we see uh, Mike Francesa. He's getting ready to retire again. We have the rumors are Howard Stern's going to retire. I don't know if I necessarily believe those, but that's the rumor. Um, I, I feel I feel like what a lot of them are going to start to do is move over and just do their own podcasts, which I have had it. But you're right. I mean, they're not replacing a lot of big, huge celebrities, and I, I really wonder. The next one, I think, the next big legend to fall would be, like, what happens to Elvis Duran when he retires? Like, is someone going to replace his show? What's going to be the show? I would think Ryan Seacrest or or Mario Lopez would be the show, but then who's after them? Because you can only stretch them so far. So it's interesting, and it's a good point you bring up. They're not replacing legends in radio anymore. It kind of seems like it's going to go one of two ways. I think the one way is going to be you're going to have one set show that'll be, like, the morning show, Across the, it'll be like maybe one or two, or the other way is you're going to go back to local radio, and you know have have your local radio people. I would hope for the latter, but I feel like the former is going to is going to definitely take over. And I think that's something. And I go back to my experience working in newspapers. The same issue where you have all this syndicated content, but the problem is if you're missing out on local news. People aren't going to care about no. something that's going to happen, not even in their market or in their area, and that's a big issue because. And I look at it on even on the R&B side, like guys like Donnie Simpson and those guys, they're eventually – Donnie Simpson is probably reaching his 60s, 70s, and what do you do now? I mean, eventually, I don't know how they're going to refresh that crop of young people. And I know a few people who are my age, so they're starting to hit 40. So that means really they only have a good maybe 25, 30 years left depending on if things don't change You know, by that time, by mm-hmm. the turn, time they even turn 50. Yeah, no I- – so one of the favorite shows of mine when I was growing up was uh, Sundays with Sinatra and Sid Mark. I'm an old soul, and I he's not. I don't think he's doing the show that much anymore. If he does, it's 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 mostly canned stuff now. What happens when all of these legends go away? Who's going to be the next one up? And it doesn't seem like radio has ordained the next person. Now that could be for a variety of reasons. People like Elvis Duran. I, I'm, I think he's what in his fifties, sixties. He might be in his early sixties, mid to late fifties. I, it, they still have time before they have to go in and handpick the next Elvis Duran. And for the most part, he's also built the team up there. So, you know, they might just shuffle the you know deck chairs, so to speak. Um, but, I mean, it's it, it's interesting. I, I don't 
know what they're going to do with these radio personalities. I would hope that I'm on that list, but I also know that the the model of radio has changed. It, it, I don't really care anymore about being a big radio personality. You need to do other things, which is why I feel blessed that I got involved with television, that I got involved in doing a lot of social media stuff, that I've kind of you know started my own podcast. I feel like that that's a way to be able to venture out to say, I'm not just a radio guy. I'm a personality. And I think that's really where it's going to go. You can't just be a radio guy. You have to be a personality. And I think that's what happened with television. You needed people mm -hmm. who could actually do what they did on radio to make it a TV. And and I feel like the invention of TV is like the invention of audio for, for movies because you used to see all the people who are in silent movies who were great, who looked, who had the look, but yeah. they talked like a 10-year-old boy <laughs> and they could so not make true. the transition. And then you have the people who were great on radio who have, as we've heard, face for radio, but could not make the transition yeah. to TV. And, and and really, it's interesting. A lot of a lot of radio stations are starting to get involved with like Twitch and YouTube and going live and Facebook and Instagram live. And now you're starting to see a lot of radio stations pay attention to the image of who they're hiring. Again, I don't I don't think it's too crazy if 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 you might look a certain way or whatever. I think at the end of the day, they want someone that's going to perform as well as they are on air on camera. That's the bigger deal. It doesn't have to be so much with looks. But I, I think overall, where everything's kind of moving, radio, TV, film, your shows, people want interesting content. And we're entering a period in, in, in society where I think we've done a lot of what you can do. So there's not really a lot that's new now. Like, for instance, I'm, I'm a big wrestling fan, and I, I still watch WWE Monday Night Raw. They're boring. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's boring. It really is. And, and really, and people are like, well, maybe you should watch this show. Maybe you should watch that show. All of it's pretty much boring because what's been done has been done to death. There's not many new interesting things anymore. And there's only there's only so many times where you can watch a big guy, you know, body slam another big guy or or a little wrestler run around the ring. Content's getting repetitive. So I think what people are really starving for now is not just content, it's interesting content. That's with podcasts, that's with radio, that's with TV, that's with film, that's with TV shows. That's with a lot of things. Yeah, and normally people are just going the route of rebooting stuff because, hey, it's my old favorite. I'll give it a shot until all of a sudden, like, this remember, is remember this original idea? That's really what it is. Yeah. It's sad because it's sad to me because, and I understand, and, and there's a lot that we've already done, but there's way to, ways to kind of put a spin onto things we've done in the past or to take an idea and kind of re, you know, revamp it, not just bring the idea back but take the concept of a married with children and kind of redo it and fix it up and make it shiny and new and and kind of you know bring it back and you know you don't don't lie don't lie like you you know we we acknowledge you no know, don't not not acknowledge the original you know uh, piece of artwork but go forth with a different concept based off of that idea or or a different idea based off that concept that's really what we should be doing now what i think that a lot of radio people are going to have to start doing is you're going to have to start doing your own podcast. And I think that's going to be a radio thing for every local personality that has a regular shift, four-hour shift, or what, however long your shift is. Morning shows, I think, are the best format for podcasts because multiple people. But I like the idea of a, a podcast where it's one person and they bring in whoever the heck they want and they do whatever the heck they want. Like, I, I think, and that's why, I mean, I have the Pat and Benny show – 
I've I've kind of st- you know kind of taken it back. It started out being just a Philly st- a Philly sports talk show, and I was like, you know what? That's not everything about me. And now we kind of incorporate a little bit more weird news, more po- Hollywood stuff. Because one of the other things I like to do is make fun of celebrities, because celebrities are weird people. And you know, local things that we talk about. I think we're gearing up in the spring to do a March Madness bracket of all Delaware things, which will be pretty interesting. Um, and I think that's really how you're going to be able to get people to to like you and become that next Elvis Duran. It's the model has the model's still there, but the process has changed. That's what yeah, I think. Yeah, and and, and I, going back to your, what you were talking about doing a spin on things, and I think about you were talking about Mary with children, and they tried to do that with Unhappily Ever After, and they botched it. Yeah, yep. but I just thought about a, there's two things that came out of that. Also, I think what if you do Murder She Wrote? And you have Jessica Fletcher, instead of her writing and solving the crimes, mm-hmm. she's the one doing the crimes, but it's like a Carmen Sandiego type thing. I you like know. that. I yeah, mean, that's that's interesting. I mean, I always one of the things I think that TV shows should start doing is going somewhere. And I, like a lot of TV shows like to kind of keep things set, like like the sitcoms and stuff. The sitcoms are funny, but sitcoms really are kind of outdated at this point. Like, I don't know whether it's the the quality of the camera work now or how uh, I guess hellbent uh, I guess uh, networks are with having things look incredibly glossy and good looking to me I think when I think of a sitcom I think of I think of obviously Seinfeld and there's another show that I think of but I'm it's, it's escaping me right now but I think of like the image of that where it's like you have a set you have a camera Friends would be another one set you have a camera and you're not like going into this like you're not going into the set. I feel like a lot of sitcoms now, you know, take the camera and put it into the set to try and make it look too realistic. You can't do that. If you're going to do a sitcom show, be a sitcom show. And I think of sitcoms and I'm thinking, thank God they got away from the weird, the stupid catchphrases of the 80s. Yes. And the sort of we're not the 80s anymore type feeling of the 90s. Yep. I mean, th- think about it. If if a sitcom from the 80s was on TV right now, it probably wouldn't last. It probably wouldn't. Or some of them wouldn't. I think some of them wouldn't. Like the ones that would always do try to shoehorn the catchphrase into the show, like oh, different strokes. Yeah, here we are. Yep. What you talking about? Well, you can't do that anymore. Yep. I thought now you could do a spin on that. I mean, what do you do now? I mean, because it was too sweet. It's too saccharine. I mean, what do you do for now? An older white guy adopts two black kids. This is something that everybody's going to talk about. Yes. First thing is like, where's the rest of their family? Why wouldn't you move them to a family? I, I will. That, you I, know. I, do, I do. I will say this though. I don't think a show like that would get the publicity at once. Yeah, it would get publicity. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but, you know, a older white guy adopts two African American children. That would get publicity, but it would get publicity in like the the politically correct way. You'd have a lot of people on on Facebook going, "Oh, look at this! This is so incredible! This show is amazing!" But like it wouldn't matter if the show's funny or not to them it's just it's a politically correct show i think the shelf life the shelf life wouldn't be that long and then you have people on the other side that just don't want political correctness jammed down their throat to hear something like that to to go and want like watch they wouldn't watch that show yeah. even though the show is nowhere near politically being being politically correct at yeah. all it's just that's the premise of the show yeah so I, that's and that's why i think in today's climate tv shows like that i don't know if they would exist or do well yeah, Three's Company, when you look at it, how controversial it was, and it when you look at it now, it's like pretty harmless, especially yeah. the fact that, you know, a guy and two girls living together, nothing happened between any of them at all. Mm-hmm. And then, or even if you spun it where 
Jack really was gay, and, and he would just live with the two girls. Still nothing wrong with it. No. I mean, it's pretty harmless now, and you look at it, and they always use the same old uh, misunderstanding thing, which I know uh, I think Jerry Seinfeld talked about. They did an episode of Seinfeld where they just knocked out all the comedy tropes like in a, a few seconds. It's like all these things could have been solved. And just like every dumb plot device of every movie in the 80s would have been solved with a cell phone. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Adventures yeah. of babysitting and uh, just everything under the sun. Yeah, cell phone would have fixed everything. You go back and you think of like some of the great horror movies from the 80s. Like you have a cell phone, you can call the police. Done. M- movie over. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah, and I know. Uh, every, every James Bond movie. <laughs> yeah, and I just think about it. It's like uh, one of my friends does a movie podcast and he basically says everything. Reason why you don't do the common sense things is because it's called plot induced stupidity. Because everything would have been solved in like five minutes and there's no movie. Yeah. Now, that's interesting. I, I never thought about it that way. That is inter- That is very interesting. Every, every, yeah, no, you're right. Because pretty much every, every like typical 80s movie would just be solved by just being able to go, hey, boom, done, ball game. Or even send in a text. Yeah. It's wild. <laughs> now, now, like you, like, and that's, that's interesting because you can't take movies that are like made now and go back to the 80s. They wouldn't hold up. Yeah. Because all the technology we have now just, there's no way for them to function. That, that does bother me, too, like the amount of technology we use. And that, like, people like to say, like, oh, this technology is killing radio. And I don't think anything's getting killed. Like, TV's not getting killed. Like, TV, TV's not doing well, but it's not getting killed. Like, even newspaper, like, newspaper's not dying off. It's just changing. Everything's changing. Everything's now tied into your cell phone, tied into your computer, tied into your tablet. N- things are never going to die off. They're just going to change. Like, people, podcasting's getting popular. Podcasting's just radio. That's really all podcasting is. What you're listening to would be a radio show 15, 20 years ago. This is what we would be talking about on the radio. Now it's kind of different, you know? And now traditional radio is just streaming music. That's really all it is. And occasionally someone comes in there and makes you all warm and fuzzy and feel like you're not listening to just a robot. That's kind of the way it is. And TV's becoming YouTube and uh, Instagram Live and all that stuff. And, and, and newspapers are just becoming online blog articles. Really... If, if there's been one industry that's kind of really been hit hard, it's been newspaper in the sense that now it's become on the on, you know, basically blogs, but also it's become so reliant on the headline that bothers me. Like I, I, I belong to a couple of different groups and people post stuff now just because the headline says something they think they're trying to make a point of. And you read the article and it it's completely different. Clickbait, man. I, and I've never been a fan of clickbait. I'm just going to. I, and working in newspapers, that's the biggest thing. Another thing I look at, internet changed a lot of stuff. People thought that, and especially, and just I'm a member of, of a group on Facebook of former Gannett employees. Everybody talks about how the higher-ups in the mid-90s thought, oh, the internet's going to be a fad. People thought TV was going to be a fad. People thought radio was going to be a fad. But they're still here, and, and they've changed in different ways. Why did you not try to jump ahead and try to hit the trend? It's one thing if you try to hit the trend early and you mm-hmm. failed. You know, if like, for example, a TV show that came on in the 90s, it was not ready. It was not the right time, where if it came in 10 years later, boom, it would be a hit. But it, they just did not pay attention no. to what was going to happen. And this is why, like Archer would say, you wanted ants? This is how you got ants. Because <laughs> everything's a mess. You're laying people off. You can't get people to buy ads. The only time they were flourishing after the internet stuff was when people were having foreclosures because everybody was putting all their legal ads in the paper and you were making revenue. Until they all of a sudden, everybody was getting kicked out of the house and there was just not enough 
time to do all these ads and there wasn't enough ads. Everybody and their mother was having a foreclosure, so you couldn't really put in the paper and you couldn't get any money off of it. No, that's a good point. I'm interested in seeing what the next fad is. And, and, and I, when I say that, I mean like what's the next thing to come up that kind of changes everything? Uh, podcasting seems to kind of already be there, but it's not really changing anything. I honestly think the next great media forum is going to be some combination of on-demand like hologram type video consumption like being able to just be able to you know open your hand and have like a watch that that you know formulates some kind of hologram in your hand so you can watch content like news updates you know that way i think that would be the next interesting thing but that's not really innovative i think again i think we've innovated to the point where we can't innovate any further in terms of media consumption the only thing I can think we can do is hologram stuff, like being able to just hologram instead of like, you know, looking up a music video on YouTube, just being like, oh, hey, play Tupac and then have like Tupac perform in front of you. I mean, Alexa might have been the next invention. I mean, yeah. next to that, maybe just sort of having it in your head where you can just boom, it just come that, up in your head. That's but. pretty much. I mean, that's that's like on demand daydreams. Yeah. Can you imagine having like a device in your brain and then being able to sit back, close your eyes, and have whatever daydream you want at that time. Yeah. and It's and wild. For anybody who's like a Dale Gribble type of person who doesn't trust anything involving the government or anything else, letting them in your head would probably be the <laughs> worst idea that you could do. Yeah, try to and, put an ad in there. Like, <laughs> imagine, imagine, imagine dreaming and then all of a sudden just ad, you know, like, oh, wow, this is an amazing, beautiful sunset. And Nike has a great deal on sneakers. Visit your New York Sticks point. Like, you're going to be like, what the heck? Yeah. I mean, I don't know what more you can innovate in terms of media, but whatever it is, people might want to jump on it soon instead of like sitting back because it's been that way forever. TV was that way. Like, oh, nothing's going to be able to down us. Well, YouTube downed you and YouTube downed you pretty good to the point where TV was trying to sue YouTube to not exist anymore. But, you know, that creative public domain, YouTube stayed alive and YouTube actually I watch at least like 10 YouTube videos every single day. Like, it's so easy to consume. Most of the videos are 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes. It's perfect. And one of my favorite YouTube channels is SB Nation. Oh, yeah. They, I love them because, and I, I'm a big sports fan too, but sports coverage has gotten repetitive. And when we talk about sports broadcasting, we can talk about that. Sports coverage has gotten so repetitive. And, and really, if anything, it's gotten worse. Like, I remember going back to, like, watching old sports broadcasts when I was studying in college back in, like, the early 90s and 80s. They set things up so well. I felt like every game was larger than life. Even if the Titans were like four and six, I felt like, oh, this game's must-watch TV because it's Steve McNair going up against this player. Now, people are quick to jump on a player if he's not that good. Like, Marcus Mariota's only been in the league like three or four years, and people kind of already are like, yeah, he's not good. Like, Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield's been in the league a year. It's almost like people forget he was a rookie of the year last year. I know he's having a bad year, but that happens, you know? And I feel like with sports coverage now, it's so blasé. If they kind of realize, like, oh, this player's not that good, they don't really talk about you. And they kind of form the same, like, cookie-cutter coverage of every single game. It's Team A versus Team B. And it's not special anymore. They don't really doctor it up. They don't really talk about what makes the teams different. Every team essentially is in the same. That's for every sport, every level, pro, amateur. It's gotten really bad. And I think about it, and the best thing, like you said, looking on YouTube, all you have to do, you could spend maybe an hour or two hours looking at old sports intros from the 70s and 80s. Oh, my god! How Howard Cosell would drum up a Monday night football game and make it's it seem Monday like— Monday night football between the Green Bay Packers and the Chicago Bears. Very interesting note. I found out that Telly Savalas, Kojak, the actor Kojak— 
worked at ABC and got Howard Get Cosell his first sports job. Get out of here. At least that's what Wikipedia said. So I'm going to go by Wikipedia because he before he went into acting, he was doing a lot of stuff. He was working in news. Telly Savalas was working in news yeah. before he started doing some acting on the side. and then he, That's cool. Yeah. And Howard Cosell is one of the greats. I yeah. mean, he is one of the great. But again, what I like about like Howard Cosell and uh, some of my favorites are like uh, – uh, Pat Summerall yeah. and Al Michaels. Well, Al Michaels, peak Al Michaels is yeah. fantastic. This this iteration of Al Michaels, I feel like is almost like I. You can almost tell with some guys when they're calling a game how much the behind the scenes people are really influencing them calling the game. And I feel like that's become Al Michaels now. Like Al Michaels has a lot of like NBC. I almost feel like NBC producers and execs are like in the same room as him, saying like. Al, you got to mention this. Al, you got to mention this. Make sure you talk about this, Al. Kind of like what's happened with WWE. Like, oh yeah, and on Fox. Like, yeah, you just hear. You can tell that like Vince is in their ear, and like and like Triple H is in their ear, just saying like, "Hey, remember, you got to talk about this. Remember, you got to talk about this." And it's it's just made it boring. Like it really yeah. had like let the play by play guy color the game the way he wants and color the broadcast the way he wants. Jim Ross is one of my is in every time I bring Jim Ross up. In a conversation of the greatest play-by-play people of all time, people are like, "What? Are you smoking something?" I'm like, "No, he is. He is one of the best at play-by-play." Yeah, and it, depending on what partner he's with, True. they were just talking about uh, they were talking about Full Gear. Without Tony Giovanni, he was sort of up and down. But if you put him with Peak Jerry Lawler, you put him with Giovanni, you put him with Jim Cornette, somebody. I mean, even with Vince, him, Vince, and We're Lawler. Perfect. I'm not a fan of the three-man booths. I'm not. Yeah. It's too much. It's too many people, too many cooks in the kitchen. And it takes away from the ability to develop characters. And getting back to our conversation earlier, that's what people are starving for. People yeah. are starving for characters. When you put three people in the booth... Who do you root for? Who do you root against? Who do you like? Who do you don't like? When you, and I know it's as trivial as just adding one more person, Ben. What are you talking about? Well, it's the truth. When you put three options in front of someone, it's a lot different when you put two. Because when you put two, it's easy to go, oh, if I get this, I don't get this. When you put three, if I get this, I don't get this. It's crossing everywhere. But, but I do get that with that. You're, you're making it too complicated. You're making it way too complicated. When Monday Night Football did that stupid boogermobile thing with with I forget who's the main guy for Monday Night Football. Oh, Joe Tessitore. Joe Tessitore. Uh, it, it's it was too much. Like it just Joe Tessitore, even though he's blasé and bland, but then put him with someone like a Randy Moss or a a high per Shannon Sharp, a high personality guy. I would have loved for Gruden to stay in the commentary thing, but the Raiders look good, so Grady's a head coach. But like putting him, putting a blasé person with a blasé person and Jason Witten. You're going to get blase coverage. Yeah, and I think Tessator actually is probably livelier on Holy Moly than he is on Monday Night Football. Man. When you put it with Rob Riggle, where it's just it's so absurd, he's playing off the absurdness of Riggle. I, it just seems it's really that he's being wasted. He's being wasted. Not also another example of ESPN execs sitting there just going, "Hey, Joe, you got to say this. Remember to say this, Joe." And it's like that's what I wish a lot of these networks would do. Let your content become content let it do its own thing let it run its course because what they're doing now is there's so much research as to what people like and what people don't like now that all these networks all these content creators are trying to get ahead of the trend oh people people like this so we have to make an idea about this you know what you do when you do that you pigeonhole yourself you really shorten up your your creative side and people see that like people see that type of stuff it's it's very transparent in that aspect i really do think we're going to get back to the way things were 
mid 2000s to to late 90s where some and there's some executive input but for the most part content became its own content and no one really put in their input and, and execs kind of sat back and said you know what I'm going to hire people that know what they're doing and I'm going to let them do their job yeah and the veteran people that probably did the NFL on CBS and the the first go around before they left for Fox those guys worked in clock you know they were oh like clockwork God. everybody you know you had James Brown you had Terry Bradshaw in the studio just those two you had Summerall and Madden before everything changed and then you look at the NBA on NBC everything up from when they took that deal from CBS to put it on NBC it was great. Everybody was there. It, it just felt great. And like you said, maybe a lot of focus groups changed things and a lot of producers who are these young hotshot people. And that's something that gets me in either in any facet of entertainment. Mm-hmm. It's some young hotshot who uses a bunch of buzzwords to get their way up to the top. And all of a sudden they have no experience. They, they, they're they just a bunch things, of... It seems like audience targets and yeah. uh, you know segmentations and being yeah. able to get... Honestly, people... like It doesn't... Star Wars, for example. Yeah. Do you think when George Lucas made Star Wars and, and you know, put together Star Wars, mm-hmm. he sat there and thought, oh, this segmentation of people, like these young people are going to love, or young pe- younger people are going to love this. No, he made a movie. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't care about who was going to see the movie. He made a movie and it was a good movie and it's turned into a great franchise that Disney's now running into the ground. Like that, that's, <laughs> no, this, <laughs> Disney's doing an okay job. I'm just made that joke because some people are going to sit there and be like, oh yeah, they are. But- <laughs> For the most part, they made con- even old Disney movies like The Little Mermaid. Do you think when Disney made The Little Mermaid, they sat there and they were like, "Oh, we want uh, a lot of young Hispanic women to watch this movie." No, they made a good movie. Yeah, they didn't care. They didn't care about you know twenty five to twenty six. They didn't care about audience segmentations. They made a good movie. Yeah, and everyone loved it. Yeah, and and the thing about that, yeah, just a fact like that, and even with George Lucas when his filmmaking, because everybody just talks about he's. Bad with dialogue because yeah. they even talked about when Carrie Fisher died. Carrie Fisher was script doctoring a lot of the the, the Star Wars <laughs> movies, and and she was a hell of a script writer and script yeah. doctor. She was good, and you could just tell that everybody working together made a perfect thing. And then when you see he made the, the three prequel movies, and dialogue was stiff. When you have Academy Award winners and and trained actors and these really talented actors sounding really dull and stiff and. And, oh, you know, goodness, it just yeah. shows what happens when you don't have everybody working together and sort of, you and, know. And you can also tell when he made the prequels, you could tell that was a lot of executive influence because I think at that point, Lucas was the owner of Lucas Films. He was the director, executive producer. He was everything on that film. That was too much. Like he was doing too much and he didn't have enough people to check him and balance him. No, a lot of it is, and, and this is something I, I prided myself on when I went over to the Rowan television program. It was really a core of, of three people. It was our executive president of the program. His name was Joe Panisi. It was our sports director. His name was Jeremy Cashin, who I think both of them work for NBC now. They work in the NBC sports. Jeremy, I think, had a chance to go over when they were doing the Olympics. Jeremy's really good. And then I came in, and they used me as the play-by-play guy. And really, we'd have one meeting every week before our weekend broadcasts. We'd do a hockey game and a football game. And I was the play-by-play guy for both. And they would tell me, these are the big star players. How do you want us to present them? And I would come back with an idea of like, well, you know, uh, this guy has scored a touchdown in the past three games. Let's drum up a graphic that shows like a record of how, you know, we'll go up and I'll do research and I'll send you guys all the data. And I would do that. And then we, we put graphics together that way. There was no mention this. There was no mention that. And a couple of our broadcasts went on to win awards. I, Jeremy sent in one and it won like a producer's award. 
Uh, Joe sent one in for, he was a president. He also directed a couple of times. He won a couple awards that way. I think I won an award for play-by-play on, on a hockey game. Um, and, and and it was great. And I know that's, that's a little bit of like, well, you know, uh, fanning myself. But at the same time, like, people enjoyed it. A lot of people, like, it got to the point now where, the hockey program or the hockey play-by-play for for Rowan's television program doesn't just handle Rowan now. When they have Rowan's conference tournament, Rowan handles the broadcasts for everything. It used to be Rowan would just handle Rowan's own broadcast. The the conference came to Rowan and said, hey, we want your TV program to handle it now. Don't know if they still handle it, but that's how it was my senior year. And that's that's something. That shows you that like people liked the content we were doing. We were putting up graphics. Uh, we had a score bug. The camera work was pretty solid. And for college kids, I mean, you're only going to get what you're going to get. But that type, basically, the, the, the notion I'm trying to get to is less is more and hire good people. Hire people that you trust and don't really meddle in their affairs until they give you a reason not to trust them. I feel like now a lot of networks and networkers and you know Fox and CBS and NBC, especially NBC and ABC, they get too... I guess, um, micromanaging of, of their shows, how their shows are, how their content is, let it go. Just let, let, let your on-air personalities be on-air personalities again. That's how you're going to get the next Elvis Duran. And I just think about, especially we're There's talking about TV. a big old tie-in, yeah, <laughs> going right back to the intro. Oh, hey, that's how it works. Everything's cyclical. And I was just thinking about, and I look at, and I've been going through this binge-watching on YouTube. Mm-hmm. There's this one channel where they have – all these different TV intros from like a particular year. One year they'll do like the top shows or the new shows debuting in 1988 and things like that. And you look at some of these shows and I think, how did they get greenlit? <laughs> these are some <laughs> awful premises. And I'm thinking, man, I look at that and I'm like, if I, I could just throw any idea out there and the odds are, you know, you get enough people you know, yeah. you can probably get it on TV. You can. Or at least get it through at least a treatment. Go back to like, I want to say it's the 60s, and there used to be a TV show that was, or it might have been the 70s, My Mother the Car. Like, oh, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, Jerry like, Van Dyke. Yep, uh, The Flying Nun. Like, yep. things like, like, concepts so completely stupid, but they, they had a season. They had a couple of seasons. I think Flying Nun was on for like three or four seasons. I yeah. think My Mother the Car was only a season or two. Yeah, and the fact that Sally Field never talks about The Flying Nun. No. You'll talk about Gidget all the time, but they'll never talk about yeah, The Flying and Nun. And Gidget was bad. Gidget was worse than the Flying Nun. I actually I remember watching an episode of the Flying Nun in uh, in school, and it, it implored me enough to try and look up other episodes of the Flying Nun to see like is this really it? And that was that was the problem. Like it, you want to talk about you know uh, what you talking about, Will? It's like if the Flying Nun's thing every time was that you would just see her flying in the show. There was never a show where she couldn't fly. It was always the Flying Nun. I actually was interested in that. Like Gidget was kind of boring to me, but Flying Nun. Oh, give me some of that. That was interesting. I, you know what? If I if I could have gone back, I would have loved to have given the Flying Nun like a nice like five seasons to see like flesh it out a little bit more, see what's going on, see if anything changes because the Flying Nun was interesting. I mean, Gidget was boring. Yeah, and I think about that, especially the '60s. That's the infancy of TV. '66, mm-hmm. they started going to full color, and you know everybody's starting to test the boundaries. And and it's funny when they go to baseball. Especially the '70s, once the color TV comes in, you start getting all the funky colors. Yep. You get the powder blue yep. Phillies uniforms. Powder blue Phillies uniforms. The Royals had the powder blue. The Astros had that disgusting, like vertical stripe jersey. The rainbow guts. The rainbow guts. Uh, you had the you had the Padres with that mustard yellow and brown. 
Uh, I mean, obviously the Yankees jerseys are, are they, they they didn't really show up that well on TV, but they were the pinstripes were always very professional and clean. There was a lot of interesting jerseys back then. I, the one I always liked was the uh, the Toronto Blue Jays, like powder blue. Yeah, the Toronto Blue Jays powder blue was always really fresh looking. Yeah, when I think of those, I always think of a book I was reading about the Blue Jays, and you see Danny Ainge sliding in the second, hands up, yep. and it's like. Wow, and then uh, one just the fact that Danny Ainge played baseball so you know for like a stint before you become Basketball, a star yeah. NBA GM and things like that. It is just absolutely crazy. And going back to the talk we were talking about TV, TV oh, in the sixties. Well, we, 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 we can't not acknowledge oh, yeah. the Pirates' yellow uniforms. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah the, the We Are Family teams. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's funny, it was about the Padres, they are the most schizophrenic organization when it comes to uniforms because they don't know what their identity they is. They either go with the mustard and the brown, they either go with their 90s throwbacks, and they go with the military ones, and they go with the blue and the white. They just cannot settle on a... On a- so I think the best Padres uniform is the one that Tony Gwynn was rocking. That one was beautiful. Clean colors. The logo is what makes it. The new ones now that have like the white logo that's not really exciting. That's boring to me. The the Tony Gwynn one was like it had like it popped out. It was it was like bold. It was beautiful. I like those uniforms because it was a clean look, but it was an attractive one. And the, obviously the team played well to make them look attractive. You had guys like Phil Nevin then, and you had Tony Gwynn, and you had let me think who else was on like Brian Giles would yeah. have been on that team around then. That's a solid Padres look. Bring the mustard ones out every once in a while. The military ones I'm always cool with. But the ones they have now are so blasé and boring, it's not even funny. And it's reflective of the organization. That's a boring team. You can count on them every year to be, like, bottom 10. Oh, yeah. And and apparently, uh, aside from 84 and the time they went to the World Series, they are a very poor club. They are not really that I good. I think they have the longest postseason drought. I don't think they've been in the playoffs in like 10 years. Yeah, because didn't they lose in a one-game playoff? It's been a while. I think like they I made it to one-game playoff. Okay, seriously, I think for baseball fans, we shouldn't count the one-game playoff as you made it into the playoffs. That's one game. Like Until baseball incorporates a sixth wild card for both leagues, which I hope they don't, I hope they I, I hope they go back to four. Like the, like the, the extra one's just stupid. Like save the extra stuff if teams are tied. I'm all for that. Or, you know, uh, I don't even know what I'm like. Maybe maybe implement a division record thing so that way, like, yeah, you may have a greater regular season record, but if your division re- records match up, you have a one game playoff. I I hate just the two random teams playing in one game and then the winner goes on to play. Either have six or have four. Do that, and then if you go to six, quick three game series, one two three, no days off. It's back to back to back. Or even do like one game and then a double header, and that's how you decide the series. I'd be cool with that couple days off, then you go into the next series. Yeah, and I like the idea that maybe they were talking about at one point, if you put the doubleheaders back on maybe like a Monday or something, if you still have the road days, the travel days on a, mm-hmm. on a Thursday or so, you can still get the whole season in. You still get extra days off, which I don't like this funky schedule where they have Fridays off now. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Dude, like, honestly, you want to do doubleheaders? Do doubleheaders on a Wednesday. Yeah. Because they do these Wednesday, like, afternoon games at 1.00. I don't like. I'm not gonna get out of work on a Wednesday to watch a game. So, if you, but if you want to do that, if that's a money generator for you, do a doubleheader on a Wednesday, and then just have and instead of having one set day off, just have a random day whenever it opens up in your schedule. Just okay, we'll take a Tuesday off. Okay, we'll take a Thursday off. I think doubleheaders on Wednesdays is fine. 
Um, I would even go as far as say like Sundays play too. I think yeah. that's that's fun. I mean, even Saturday afternoon. I mean, yeah, you know, because yeah. what, what else is going on in Saturdays in a, in, a, in the summer? Nothing. Yeah, because Sunday's getaway day for some people, and you got to go. I mean, I understand also, that. Also, also, I'm a big proponent. I think Florida should lose every single baseball <laughs> team that's in it. Every single Florida baseball team should be moved. Miami does not deserve the Marlins. Tampa Bay does not deserve the Rays. They don't support those teams. Or they have been, and people always say like, when you're a bad team, no one shows up. Even when the Rays are good, they're still bottom five in the league in attendance. Don't give me that. Like, yeah, the Oakland Athletics don't draw a lot of fans. Number one, the stadium's garbage. Like, who wants to go to a stadium where you're sitting a mile away from? Where, like, in order to see something, you need binoculars. That's terrible. But number two, people show up to A's games when they're in the play. Like this year, the A's sold tickets. They did well. They make money. They're profitable. The Marlins aren't profitable. You can't show me a model that says the Marlins are profitable. Maybe for like the first couple of years of their existence, when the owner was literally lying to try and get the team to be sold, yeah, maybe. The Rays aren't profitable. They have an awful stadium. No one goes. Even when they're winning, no one shows up. Even when they're in the playoffs, no one shows up. You can't give playoff tickets away to Rays games. They don't deserve those teams. And the thing is, especially, and I've mentioned this so many times, in the 90s, in the 70s, in the 80s, everybody used St. Petersburg, Tampa to be the place to extort people for money to build a new stadium. Oh, the, if you don't get the Giants this new we're stadium, move to St. Petersburg, yep. Yep. or we're going to move into Tampa, yeah, White Sox, everybody and their mother, and then all of a sudden you finally put a team in there, just like how they used to use Washington for baseball, yep. Baltimore for football, everybody. That's what they used to do. And, and now, now, base now, Major League Baseball doesn't have that that strong. I mean, they can say Montreal all they yeah. want. Does anyone really like? Okay, all they right, need a you'll new stadium move me to Montreal. No, right, you still need a new stadium there, like. The only like they're trying to use like the Charlotte stuff like oh Charlotte's become a profitable market. Charlotte doesn't want a baseball team like that area is college football, college sports like baseball team won't do well in Charlotte. That's just reality. The place I'm kind of surprised that baseball hasn't looked at is like New Orleans because you think like it's warmer climate. It's the South. It's a beautiful area. Baseball team would kind of make sense there. Like, you know, the big easy Things move a little slower in the South. You know, little little people are more inclined to sit there and enjoy a baseball game. I'm surprised no one's thought about putting a baseball team in Birmingham, a pro team, or any of those places. That's kind of been surprising to me that no one's thought to put something there, or even Dallas. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess Dallas will claim the Rangers, but they claim I the Rangers. That's Arlington. Yeah. yeah, and the thing is, Vegas is the most logical thing, especially now that yeah. the, all bets are off, no pun intended there. But then it would be hypocritical yep. because you still have two potential Hall of Famers sitting out for betting on baseball. One, what they say about Shoeless Joe, couldn't even read, and he yeah, didn't even the, tank. The and, more I've read about the Shoeless Joe stuff, the more I, I go back and I think he was just caught up in that. Yeah. And really, like you can't tell me he was taking games off. He had like the best statistical like he was the best statistical player in that series. Like he he wanted to win that. That's he's a baseball player. That's all he knew how to do. I, I would love to get an opportunity to put a couple of people in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Shoeless Joe would be on my list. Barry Bonds would be on my list, too. I used to be like a guy who was like, nah, he took steroids, but he was really good before he started taking them. Yeah, and my thing is this. If you just come clean and say you did it, that's cool. Just do it. Hey, yeah. And it's like, just like Bob Costas always said, and I know everybody's sort of polarized with Bob Costas, but he said... You put this preface in the Hall of Fame. There were times people played in a dead ball era, a pre-desegregation era, a steroid era, yeah. a juice ball era, a, and, and you know. There's pre- a, there's different eras of baseball. You're right. I don't know if I'd call this one the juice ball era. I think I'd call this one the uh, 
overuse of analytics era. Yeah. I think that at the end of the day, that's the one we like the analytical era of baseball. And I hope it I hope it ends soon because analytics are are killing the game. But before we get to that, actually I love Bob Costas. I'm a huge Bob Costas fan. Now, I've heard he's a big a-hole. And uh that, you know, that aside, I, I like I'm the kind of guy that like your personality doesn't really draw back on your talent. Bob Costas is very talented. Now I will say this. I do not like Bob Costas on play by play. I think he has moments. The team of the 90s has, you know, that like yeah. he has your moments. I like him a lot better when he's doing like his documentaries or when he's doing pregame or halftime or reporting. Bob Costas is one of the best at the interviews. Oh my God, his interview with Vince McMahon is incredible. Um, because he's not afraid to go there. I hate Bob Costas on play by play. He's just not that good. Yeah, I I mean, I think he might have been better suited for maybe the early baseball. I know like he was doing the NBC yep. game of the week with Tony Kubek and things like that. But you can tell when he was doing the NBA one, it didn't feel the it's same not, without Marv. Yeah, it was not, not Marv Albert. He, he like Bob Costas naturally doesn't have the kind of energy you need to call a basketball game or to call a football game or to, or really to really call a hockey game. Like you need someone that's going to be able to keep up with the play. He's perfect for baseball, but I there's a lot other ba- there's a lot more baseball guys that I like more than him. Like Matt Vasgersian, I think is one of the best baseball baseball guys. I mean, a local bias aside, Harry Callis, uh, uh, Bob Euchre is fan- phenomenal at baseball. Um, I, I don't like ESPN trots out that what's that they have that girl that does baseball games. Uh, Jessica Mendoza, I believe. Yeah, she's fine, but. I, I'm not. I'm not crazy about her, but she's fine. Uh, but like, there's there's only like really there's only a handful. Like Jack Buck, um, believe it or not, Joe Buck's not terrible at baseball. Yeah, but they here's the thing. He's not terrible. They he, try to make him the next Bob Costas because St. Know, Louis roots and everything. Yep. It gave him his own type of similar show they had on radio and stuff like that. They it, want him to be Bob. They're Costas. trying too hard. I, like people need to realize it's not Joe Buck doesn't suck. He's just not that good. That and that's the bottom line with like there's no other way that you can sugarcoat it. You put as much makeup on that pig as you want. Joe Buck is just not that good. He's fine. I don't mind him. Sunday night football, fine. Baseball, he's okay. But again, that's it. He's okay. Like I think people try to apply the greats and put Joe Buck and like when they think of the greats, you're inclined to put Joe Buck there because of the status of where he is. Because of like the fact he does he does the primetime football games. He does the Super Bowl. So you think, oh, they must think that Joe Buck is one of the greats. I don't think he is. I think he's just okay. You switch Gus Johnson with Joe Buck, Gus Johnson's probably number one. Because Gus yeah. Johnson, tournament time, that when he left CBS and they have Jim Nance calling it, uh-huh. and Nance I don't think is really that good either. That's my personal preference. He's only good for golf. But other than that, if you put Gus Johnson— So I'll confess this about Gus Johnson. I, I've gone through a bit of a roller coaster with him. I used to— absolutely love like early on I loved Gus Johnson I thought he had a really unique voice then I forget which Madden came out but he was the play-by-play guy for Madden to say it was garbage would would be an insult to trash like it it was a dumpster fire I don't know whether it was the way they produced him the way they cut his voice what they did to it it sounded awful like his pitch would go from normal to yelling really loud back to normal and I was like I hate this guy then I was watching a college football game maybe like four or five years ago and Gus was doing it. And I was like, this guy's really good. Is this Gus Johnson? I don't know. He was still doing stuff. And I warmed back up to him again. That's my Gus Johnson rant. He's really good. Now, I don't think he'll ever get the opportunity to do primetime stuff. He won't. And that's just because of the nature of who he is. And 
all the like he does a lot. He's almost Kenny Albert in the sense that like he doesn't do just football. I've seen him do uh, MMA. I've seen him do. Uh, I think he's done hockey. Or, he's done soccer. I know he's that. done soccer. Um, and his soccer stuff is okay. Like Gus, when you think of Gus Johnson, soccer is not the sport that comes to mind. Football, um, college I, basketball, college basketball, college football. Uh, I know he's done mixed, mixed martial arts, and I think it was he yeah. did a really good job in mixed martial arts. Oh, what was it? I'm trying to think what company it was because uh, arena football to me yeah. would be a Gus Johnson sport. That's the thing is his voice is more indicative of like your oddball sports. Yeah. Like I would love to hear Gus Johnson like narrate like a hacky sack game. Like that would be interesting to me. Have you ever seen or cornhole? It was, on, it was on Funny or Die. Gus Johnson does great moments in history. Yeah. Yes. That's incredible. That was good. That was good. Yeah, I feel like, really, that was the biggest mistake CBS did when they took him off the NCAA tournament, when they didn't re-sign him. Mm-hmm. And while you have still solid veterans, I'm still wondering if Vern Lundquist is still doing stuff, but those guys, those solid veterans, is great, but Gus just gave that game such... Oh, my goodness. Wasn't, the one, wasn't it the tournament game with Kemba Walker and he was calling? Yes. Cardiac Kemba! <laughs> he was losing his mind. Like... And that's like Gus Johnson put the madness into March Madness. And he was phenomenal. I always have a sour taste in my mouth. I want to say it was Madden like 2013 or something. He was the play-by-play guy in it. It was just awful. His best line was he's got run from the cop speed. That was probably the best line. Yeah, he's got run from the cop speed. Yep. But, but I think when you do the pre-recorded stuff, it really hurts. It's like Vaskersian isn't the same on MLB The Show, but yeah. he's still good. I don't know what they do with him in MLB The Show because like he does. He sounds a lot better than anything EA – well – we can talk video games. EA is an awful company. Like, there are so many reports about people working for EA that just hate their job and just don't like working there, and the company mistreating them and working them, like, obnoxiously amount of, like, like 13 or 14-hour days for, like, seven or eight days in a row. And I get in debates about this with a lot with people. People are always like, well, you know, EA has, like, the best Madden. It, Madden 08 was now over 11 years ago. Let it go. And Madden 09 wasn't bad. Madden 09 was 10 years ago. Let it go. The company's not good anymore. And people are like, oh, well, they do a fine with, with NHL. I think it almost is a separate department with NHL. The people that are programming Madden and NBA Live, because they, they, they crank that game out every once in a while, and that game's a buggy disaster. And there was another one like, um, God, they, I think they wanted, like, they do, um, there's like, a, it's a non-sports one that EA occasionally I'm trying do. to think what it is. I mean, I honestly, my buying games are limited I'm, to. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think. I, I, I like, the last great game I think EA ever did was NCAA 14. It's one yeah. of the be- it's one of the best games of all time. I think it's like a top 50 game of all time. Great football experience. The games feel huge. Momentum actually is a thing. Like like uh, I play it every once in a while. And there was one time where driving down the field, seven nothing lead through an interception, and my defense. I know I'm not great at football games. My defense literally was not playing well. Because we were on the road and that team got momentum and they were just driving down the field. Like, that game is so fantastic. Their Maddens are atrocious. And people need to understand that and not don't buy the games anymore. They recently just put the Pro Bowl back in. They took it out. Yeah. So I, um, one time I got like Madden 15 or Madden 16 just to see what, like, how the game was doing. I, I like, rented it for like five bucks. And I went to go, I did a franchise mode and I went to go at the end of the season play the Pro Bowl and it wouldn't let me play the Pro Bowl. It, I had to I had to simulate the Pro Bowl because none of my players were in it, and even when my players were in it, unless it was my quarterback, I couldn't play the Pro Bowl. Weird. Wow. It was weird. Or or my my head coach had to be in the Pro Bowl. Something very odd. Something very odd where I couldn't play the Pro Bowl unless a certain scenario happened. Then I could go and play the Pro Bowl. Very weird stuff. And then 
for the most part, like you can't hire or fire your coaches anymore. Yeah, and to the point where like you could be in year 14 of your Carolina Panthers franchise with Ron Rivera as your head coach. Ron Rivera ain't making it possibly out of this year and you're you're still with Ron Rivera as your head coach. Or like you could like have a Cowboys franchise and Jason Garrett's always going to be your head coach even if you're playing for like the uh oh by the way, they have a 30-year limit. So if you have a franchise mode going for over 30 years, it just stops. Yikes, even the yep. uh, 2K ones keep going and going and yeah, you, going. You can do a 2K franchise for over, I think it's like 50 or 60 years. And they tried that experiment on SB Nation where they tried to get the most average players in yep. and get rid of everybody. And it's, it's like, it's like they were like 100 years into it. And I'm like, oh my God. Like imagine like simulating 100 years worth of, of 2K. It's incredible. Like, I, I mean, actually, you probably do that in like five minutes, to be honest yeah. with you. But, yeah. And I think. I thought it would end up being like how they do with Pac-Man, level 255 or 256, where it just gets all buggy and that's it. And he just snaps. <laughs> well, I mean, for a while it was it was doing that. Like, what was it? Because uh, I know I know the SB Nation video you're referring to is the Fumbleverse, which is great content. I'm excited to see the next one they're doing. Did you see the next the one they're doing with the one play season for the for the oh. Detroit Lions? Oh, I haven't seen that one. It's good. Um, so they're gonna go back the the year the Detroit Lions went 0 and 16. They're going back and they're gonna run the season back. Same players, everything, same coaching. They can only run one play mm. on offense. Wow. It has to be the same play. So they had a bunch of people submit plays, and they voted on it. And John Boyce's play won. It's like everyone loves John Boyce, and I love John Boyce too because he's he's hysterical. And he, he and again, he takes an interesting spin on sports. Like sports coverage again has gotten repetitive. I like people that get creative with it. And John Boyce is certainly doing that. He's the way he tells stories, the way he builds up the sport, it makes you feel like football is larger than life. It makes you feel like sports are larger than life. Sports don't feel larger than life right now. Recording this on a you know magic of radio, you're we're recording this on a Monday. You watch the Monday night game tonight. It's boring, and even though and it's an exciting game, it's it's the it's the Seahawks versus the 49ers, and I don't care. And both teams are competing for like the division title, and it just feels so boring and dull. Like no one cares. That's because they're not doing a good job building this game up. They're not. And this is between two teams that have, like, if this game was on Sunday Night Football, you'd be going yeah. nuts. They still wouldn't do a great job of building the game up, but just that's just the nature of what sports have become today. And the history in this game, you know, you got Richard Sherman after the oh NFC Championship God. game, and you still, and now he's and on the it's Niners. All, it's all recent stuff, too. I mean, you go back, there is like, the seeds for this Niners Seahawks rivalry have been planted for a while. When Jerry Rice signed his final contract as a Seattle Seahawk, whoa. Like, that's a 49ers legend. And he's yeah. just signing with a conference opponent. Now, he went to the Raiders, and then he went to the Seahawks for a hot minute, then signed with the Broncos. That was it. It kind of started there. Like, that's a 49ers legend yeah. going to Seattle. And then you kind of look at it from there, and the, God, the the um, the Harbaugh versus Steve Carroll, or, or not Steve Carroll, uh, Pete Carroll era. Yeah. Like, those games were so physical, and it, those were games that renewed my faith in football. Like those were games that were interesting, intense. You felt like you were on the edge of your seat every single play. And what I love about like Levi Stadium, I think, or one of the stadiums, is the lighting just made it look like it was a movie. Like yeah. You were watching a movie. And that's something I don't think a lot of stadiums do nowadays. Nowadays, a lot of stadiums are trying to just be the most like you know, pack as many people in as you can. Yeah, not a lot of focus on the lighting. The lighting of games matters because that goes in with the presentation. I like Lambeau Field when they do the, the the light thing. Yeah. Because for a second, when they start to turn the lights down, it looks so incredible. It looks so beautiful. That it, you know, it's a darker it's a darker tint on the lights, and just all the players look like it's they're in the middle of a movie, like it's Friday Night Lights. That's a little Benny note. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm the same way with WWE where like I miss the flash of the camera because that made every moment so much bigger. Yeah. When Triple H pedigrees Batista, it made every moment so much bigger. When, when Shawn Michaels, Sweet Chin Music, Ric Flair, the flash of the cameras make that moment so much bigger. You go back and you watch wrestling around that time and just notice the flash of the cameras in the crowd. It makes even the most minuscule, like the Hurricane versus uh, like Al Snow. Yeah. It makes those matches so much more interesting because of just the aesthetic of the presentation. Now, you don't get that anymore. Moving on to wrestling real quick. As you mentioned wrestling, who's your favorite wrestler right now? Oh, right now? Uh, I like Seth Rollins. Um, I also, I'm a big AJ Styles guy. Because those two, I think if for Seth especially, if you take Seth off the script, I think you get a better yeah. character. AJ Styles just makes everything great. Like, every match he's in is is really good. There's only been, like, one or two matches I think he's been in that aren't good. Yeah. So, for me, it's those two. And then my other quiet favorite is Bray Wyatt. I think he's one of the most creative guys in wrestling. If they screw up The Fiend again, I would run to AEW in a heartbeat for him because AEW seems a little more embraceive of creativity. Yeah, and I like Bray. Bray is probably the only reason I still watch WWE at any mm-hmm. moment. After that Hell in a Cell, I was like... It's like the the yeah. meme, the SpongeBob meme. I'm right. I'm out. That that was the thing I, for I'm me. Out, yeah. I'm, I I still am paying for the network. I haven't watched it anything on there in a while. I used to watch it for the classics. Yeah. And I watched the pay per views. Believe it or not, I've I've watched more of the actual TV shows than I have of the network, which is odd because like you, the network you have on demand, you can watch whenever you want. But I just I used to be really into NXT, and then I kind of got busy and I stopped watching it. I do like Velveteen Dream. I think he's great. Um, again, another creative guy. The, the the actual wrestler, I think his name is like Patrick Clark. The actual guy is really interesting. Like he's a really creative guy and he's going all out with his Velveteen Dream gimmick. I like it. I, I'm kind of getting like my thing about wrestling is the characters seem too robotic and scripted now and not a lot of creativity by the actual like person. Yeah. You know, like I, I kind of get the feeling that if. Vince McMahon and, and WWE, if they allowed their wrestlers to be more creative, AEW wouldn't exist. Yeah, and just like watching the AEW before Full Gear, Cody had probably one of the best promos mm-hmm. I've seen in a while. And, you know, he's got the jeans. Everybody in the family, even Dustin can put a promo in because yeah. Dustin really, I didn't feel like, got a chance to do a lot of his yeah, promo stuff. Funny about unless Gold he's Goldust. Goldust has grown on me over a year. Like, when I first started out, I was like, Goldust is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. He's you know, and He was very homoerotic, and yeah. that was the whole thing. And at first I was like, a little odd, but over time, he's and I, I love Gold Dust. He's probably and I actually have a Gold Dust T-shirt. I will wear it, and it's the most, it's the ugliest looking T-shirt ever. But Gold Dust is phenomenal. But yeah, you're right. They they have the jeans. Yeah, and I think especially Gold Dust was great with Booker T, especially when they were fighting oh the NWO. God, when he did the Croc Hunter, when he was dressed up as a Croc Hunter, that was great because with Big Show in the background snoring and talking about all this other stuff, and then he talks about X Pac. He's known to suck, and he just starts running and out of nowhere. And it's just the fact that man, they let him on the mic when he wasn't doing all the the crappy stuff, like when he was doing the Forever Unchanged, when he was seven in in WCW oh, <laughs> and everything else. When he can be funny, even when he was teaming with our Truth, those are the best ones because. Yes. And they normally say when Vince isn't watching, that's when people get the shine. Yeah, when Vince, and I, that's what I hope is with the XFL. Vince will be preoccupied with something. So, you like, Triple H... I think Triple H is a lot... Like, judging by the way NXT was when Triple H was kind of running it and there was no meddling, NXT was really good then. Because I think the way Triple H manages is 
I know what works because he was a wrestler. So that's the thing about Vince. Vince was never a wrestler. Yeah, he wanted to be, but he never was. He wanted to be, but he never was. But in his mind, he was. So Vince thinks that he has the formula. And to his credit, he does. Vince knows what he's supposed to do. I think what happened, because people like to sit here and say, like, oh, Vince has lost touch. I don't think he's lost touch. I think what's happened is the WWE has gotten really corporate because they're trying to you know, stay ahead. They're trying to see like, oh, the way we make our money is when families are here. We need family-friendly content. That's what happened to the Attitude Era. I think what we're starting to realize is they kind of underestimated the amount of teenagers and, you know, young mid-20s people and even mid-30s people, you know, men that watch wrestling. And they got a little too cute. It got a little too by the books, by the numbers, by the script. And you're starting to see the WWE move into a realm of getting a little edgier, getting a little more unpredictable. It's coming. I'm hoping that by the spring, when Vince is away, you're going to start to see more of the creativity come back into play. Seth Rollins' promos will get a lot better. Uh, and that's that's my hope. My other feeling is that I don't know if wrestling's ever going to get to the level. I mean, it won't. There's too much wrestling content out there right now. Like The WWE records a show every single day now. They don't need that. You really don't need that. Like 205 Live doesn't need to be a thing. The women's tag division, I don't really think needs to be a thing. Less is more. A lot less is more. Now, I will say this. Keep the 24-7 title because that's interesting to me. Yeah. Could you imagine if the Goldust was here and the 24-7 title was around and you have R-Truth and Goldust feuding over the 24-7 title? The type of stuff they'll get into? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It'd be be fantastic. And really, the 24-7 title is when... I get to see a wrestler go off the script. Vince doesn't really care about the 24-7 title. He put it in there because people probably said, hey, we probably should have that around. You're seeing guys be creative. Like One of the funniest things is when uh, I think Mike Kanellis won the title at a, at a gynecology office. Like That's incredible. And then he proceeded to lose it to R-Truth, who was dressed up as an old lady hiding Reading behind a, a magazine. <laughs> Phenomenal. That's I mean, it's that. see, that is great stuff because at the end of the day, what wrestling is is not wrestling. It's just entertainment. Yeah. And the thing is, you can still, I think another issue is this. We, a lot of us are in that age range where either we grew up in the 80s or we grew up in the Attitude Era and we're still watching and it's like, this isn't for us anymore. No. And we don't want rehashing and bringing Hogan and everybody out every week. You need to do something that, you know, we were fine without Hogan for a span of 10 years. We were fine without that. I mean, we don't need Austin coming out every night like they did for that one span a few months ago. He don't need that. He probably doesn't want to do that. No. I mean, unless you're paying him well enough. I mean, and really, who wouldn't turn down a whole bunch of money? Uh, I mean, yeah, you're right. I I think the WWE needs to let it go. Yeah. I understand, like, it's cool to reference that stuff maybe in, like, a storyline every once in a while. I wouldn't even do that. Honestly, let these people be themselves. And and you're starting to see that. And yeah. you're starting to see like a lot of wrestlers become megastars. Like Becky Lynch is becoming a bit of a megastar now. People actually are really interested in her. Good-looking girl, cuts promos that are kind of off the cuff and, and kind of off script. And you can kind of tell she's starting to go, you know what? Either you're going to let me do what I want to do or I'll go across the street. And more wrestlers are going to start doing that. And I even said this to, uh, said this to a point. I hope the AEW succeeds because the last time the WWE had competition, it put the best product out there. And I think we're going to get back to that again. And I hope that with the AEW getting better, the WWE will go, you know what? We have to get a better blend of this stuff. We can't have a John Cena type scenario. We can't, because really, John Cena left and ratings just went 
as polarizing as he was, is the fact that they don't want any more. They another thing is they might just sort of. I'm trying to think the perfect. Comparison. Radio. We can use that as a perfect mm-hmm. comparison. You don't want this all-encompassing star to outgrow you and no longer need you. Yeah. It's like, you know, Hogan had to come back. Rock is gone. Cena is gone. Batista is gone. They don't need it anymore. No, they don't. It's Stone Cold. Stone the yeah. Stone Cold only comes back now because, like, he doesn't really want, like, he, he became a massive star. Like, you walk in any store and you say Stone Cold Steve Austin, eight out of ten people are going to know who you're talking about. Even Undertaker. Yeah. But those guys are those guys are cut from a bit of a different cloth. Those like even Hulk Hogan too. Yeah, Hulk Hogan was never going to be a Rock or a John yeah. Cena. Those guys were kind of made for Hollywood. And he has a look that only fits pro wrestling. Yep. Doesn't yeah. You know. And also, I think I think Hulk Hogan has that mentality. Hulk Hogan likes to be able to have control over what he's doing. That's the Hulk thing. I mean, yeah. WCW. There's the story is about him backstage politicking his way to getting whatever he wanted. Are, are legendary. Even the WWE, they're yeah. legendary. When he goes to Hollywood, Hulk's not able to do that anymore. He yeah. can't. He can't go to the director and and politic his way to being the star of the movie. Yeah. So I think I think Hulk Hogan likes a scenario where he can kind of have control. I think Undertaker's just a wrestler. Like he doesn't like to go and do movies and stuff. I think Stone Cold, Stone Cold just seems to me content with being able to just take his four wheeler out and shoot up a you know shoot a deer and and drink beer all day. Yeah. That's really all he wants to do. He's more of a backwoods guy. Yeah. But people like John Cena, people like The Rock. Those are those are the I mean those are the two biggest global stars in the history of wrestling. People can say like oh Hulk Hogan this Hulk Hogan that. John Cena is a bigger star than Hulk Hogan. Yeah, and I don't think that's debatable. And the funny thing is, twenty years ago, let's John Cena is literally a meme. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And think about it, thirty years ago, if you look at it, really, Hogan's only other competition was Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. Things have changed now where... Ric Flair is more popular, and by his own undoing, too. Yeah. Hulk Hogan has really kind of killed his own character, and then when he went to TNA, it hurt it a lot. Yeah, and, uh, that the, tape. And the, the tape, and the sex tape, and yeah. the... Oh, my... And the, 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 yeah, all that stuff. Not good stuff. A lot of Hulk Hogan's damage has been on his own doing. Yeah. But you can't deny the fact that meme culture has helped build two more stars oh, yeah. and, and really rick flair was always kind of the hot shot guy yeah and i mean people love rick flair people, oh yeah and people he's kind of gotten into like the the stone cold status where like yeah rick flair woo yeah he's a wrestler right yeah he's he's the coolest wrestler of all time rick flair's become a meme john cena's become a meme and those guys like bang right to the moon oh, I, yeah. I think i think that that's the, and that's what the WWE needs to do rick flair was never scripted yeah john cena for the most part was scripted but a lot of his promos and i remember reading this a lot of John Cena's promos were, John, here's your bullet points. And you got really good John Cena stuff out of that. Like, yeah, it, like, yeah for the most part, it was always like, I'm a good guy, I'm going to kick your ass. But for the rest of it was like really good off-the-cuff stuff. Like, yeah. and, 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 and his matches were pretty good. The Rock, bullet points. Stone Cold Steve Austin, bullet points. Just get these things done. That's what WWE needs to do to build characters like that. And... If you just get a formula where you're going to build these characters, you'll never have to worry about John Cena's leaving. Yeah. I mean, and, and the key was, back in the old days, you talk people into the house. You build, you you get everybody yep. to buy the tickets. Piper could do it. Hogan could do it. And even then, with a lot of the Hogan stuff, worst case, they edited it. They, I mean, they, they didn't have them reshoot over and over. Mm-hmm. You just went through, cut out the good points, and go from there. That's that's what we learned, the importance of B-roll, because yeah. you can cut out a whole bunch of stuff oh, and fix oh, a lot of, a Ran- lot of Randy glitches. Randy Savage, oh my God, Randy Savage could talk up. He oh, could, yeah. Randy Savage could talk you into the building for three days. Like yeah. you'd, you'd, you'd go there, you'd buy a ticket, you'd go to that show, and you'd stay there for three days, because yeah. Randy Savage was that way. Like, a, lot of the, yeah, a lot of the talkers, they're not... Dusty. They're, 
Dusty. Dust, oh my God, Dusty was phenomenal. And Dusty, they said the last tweet he had, Becky Lynch, world champ. That's he knew. And everybody says from DDP, from everybody else who was there in NXT, that Dusty saw something in people that even those people didn't see in themselves. Yeah. Now he was he had a really great eye for talent. And when he was when he was involved in NXT, that was when it was the best. That that's that was when you saw guys like you know the emergence of Seth Rollins, the uh, and it's a shame to see what happened to him. Bo Dallas. Like, Bo Dallas was huge in NXT, and now he's just a footnote. I always thought they could have made him this type of cult leader. Mm-hmm. I mean, and lead him like, to like, Bray. Basically, he's Bray's hype man because he could do all this stuff and lead him. Or, or you know. the other way around. Like, it, it, honestly, like, Bray's cult stuff is phenomenal. You almost could have had two separate cults. You could yeah. have had the cult of positivity and then, like, Bo Dallas walking around and be like, everything's great, everything's fantastic, because that's what he was. He was like yeah. the, he was like the, the master yeah. of positivity. It was it was annoying. It was a great heel. It was like what DDP could have been, but yeah. they just took all the life out of it. It just took all the life out of it. That's that's what it was. It, Bo Dallas was like Mr. Positive, Mr. You gotta believe. Like that was yeah. his thing. When Bray Wyatt came up, it was almost like this ominous, the world's gonna end, uh, chaos. And it's two different cults. Yeah. So you could have had like a battle between the cult of positivity and the cult of negativity. Oh yeah, and that would have been your uh, stable feud for a while. And then have IRS pulling all the strings. Yep. That's- have IRS. IRS is in the background. <laughs> he's, yep. he's the money man because he makes the, money. They're, all the, all uh, they're the Wizard of Oz. Uh, push the curtain back and oh, don't look over here. That could have been it. I am interested in seeing eventually who this who Sister Abigail is going to be because they're going to have to do that at some point. I hope they don't cane it. And it's like oh, Sister Abigail's dead. Or, oh, God. You know, how is it that Kane is so bulletproof? No matter whatever crappy storylines they oh put him goodness. in, he finds a way to— uh, So that that's another interesting point that I've wanted to talk about with wrestling fans. Now we're, we're talking a lot about wrestling here on the show, but wrestling fans, today's wrestling fans, bother the hell out of me because they are so annoying. And I'm going to put them on blast here for a second. Mm-hmm. Wrestling fans are quick to give up on a lot of characters. Like you were talking about the Fiend. Oh, the Fiend lost to Seth Rollins. I went back and I watched that match. The ending wasn't as bad as you think. Like I understand in the moment you're like, oh my god, I want the Fiend to win, and then he loses the way he does. It kind of made sense because it makes sense in this aspect. They're trying to build up that feud as being this brutal, ruthless, uh, knockdown, drag out, and in a sense, they're trying to say. As much as they'll beat the crap out of each other, the fiend is this tough, and they're really trying to put the fiend over. That loss, if anything, to me as a fan that doesn't get invested in the back and the you know I know about the backstage stuff, but I sit back and I go, you know what? I'm going to watch this as if it's a cartoon. To me, Seth Rollins beginning his his heel turn by like going nuts on the fiend, kind of signifying to me Rollins is going to be a heel, and now he is, or he's getting we're getting there. And the Fiend is so tough and badass that, yeah, he gets beaten like that, but then he comes back the next night and just like like goes and does does the same stuff to Seth Rollins. It's it like was the awesome to me. early Undertaker. I mean, yeah. it's basically the early Undertaker. And it's not even the fact that he kept using the chair. It should have not have been a no contest. No. That's the only thing because two years in a row you have a Hell in a Cell with no contest for the title. You can't have all of a sudden Brock yeah. come in and the Shield come in and do all this stuff and it, and you don't have a winner and I, they, and they the, killed the no contest ruling was weird to me. Yeah, I would have just like the the referee just stopped the match and said it was too brutal. There's no winner. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to let these two guys kill each other. And what you do is the way the way you book yourself out of that is the referee is some referee that's known to get involved. Like maybe maybe do a special referee, yeah. and it's like it's like uh, 
I don't know, like someone that's 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 like a, a friend of Seth Rollins that just yeah. doesn't want to see Seth Rollins snap. And then you have Seth Rollins snap and turn heel that night on his friend in the middle of this. And at the end of it, when Seth Rollins leaves and the, and the special referee leaves, you have a, a, a light just on all the chairs where Bray is, and you have Bray get up like that. Yeah. Like almost like an Undertaker get up. But the fact they had him on the gurney and then gets off and then and, and, and puts him in the mandible claw, it's like, oh, that the Stupid. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> I don't watch any of the the Saudi Arabia ones anymore. They're like non-canon TV shows. Yeah. It's like they're like that one Bond movie that was non-canon with Sean Connery in it that didn't count because they just basically rehashed Thunderball. The, so- the Saudi ones bother me yeah. because that's one where the backstage stuff definitely bleeds through. They're doing they're doing those shows because they're getting paid to do yeah. those shows because the money is so good. They need the money, and I, I don't yeah. I don't blame them. Yeah, you know, and their profit margins it's not that great. They only make like thirty or forty million dollars a year. Yeah. Without the Saudi money, when yeah. they make, when they get the Saudi money, they're up to like fifty or eighty. Yeah. So you're telling me you're gonna double or triple my profit line? Yeah, of course I'm gonna go over there. I'm gonna do whatever you want me to do. You know, that's they literally have two fake championships. Yeah, and I'll call them fake because they're completely fake. They created a completely new Royal Rumble for Saudi Arabia because of how much money they're getting paid there. A hundred percent. Now, interesting to see if they'll do it again with all the Saudi Arabia stuff that yeah. happened. Wrestlers getting held, uh, the the women's match that that like was not really critical. Like they, I don't know if it get, didn't get really. And you couldn't even put Becky Lynch on it. I mean, if you're gonna put yeah. a women's match, why not do that? I mean, because one, she doesn't really wear any much revealing attire. Well, there, that's and, one thing. And that's the other thing is like culture in of itself is just a very different one. Yeah. And I just will always have cultural yeah. differences with them. Yeah. But for the most part, you're right. They're they're non-canon. However, going back to the Fiend storyline. I didn't mind the no contest at the end of the Hell in a Cell match because it's just like you you want to build up the brutality of the Hell in a Cell match. Yeah. It, it's gotten so watered down. I think there's been a couple of Hell in a Cell matches where no one bled. They're not brutalized matches anymore. They're just like, it almost seems like a by-the-numbers, plotted-out match of athleticism. Yeah. That, that stuff's not interesting to me. Kick each other in the teeth, make each other bleed. That is what a Hell in a Cell match is for. They are supposed to be brutal matches. Yeah. The greatest Hell in a Cell match of all time was the six-man one where, uh, oh my God. What's that Rikishi um, falling off the, Rikishi, the truck? Rikishi gets thrown the into truck. the truck. Yeah, Undertaker put, uh, throws Rikishi into the truck. Br- oh, brutal match. Just like there's blood everywhere. Guys are getting, and then Kurt Angle like has the finish yeah. where he just quickly ro- walks over and pins a guy and then leaves as a champion. Like fantastic stuff. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. That is what a Hell in a Cell match is. Yeah. What they're doing with him now is they're just trying to build up the brutality of it. I kind of like the way they have like the set, like Hell, like Hell in a Cell pay-per-view and this pay-per-view and that pay-per-view. Yeah. I ca- someone did put forth an idea that I kind of like. Get rid of all the themed pay-per-views, except for Royal Rumble, Survivor Series, WrestleMania, WrestleMania obviously. Yeah. Well, like the ones that have like match stipulations you have to do. Yeah. And just let the storylines dictate what the match is going to be. I like that. That gets rid of like the oh, it's the steel cage pay per view, meaning three stage three matches are going to be in a steel cage. It pigeonholes you as a writer. Yeah, I mean even WCW with War Games, that's it. You have the two rings, but there's only one War Games, and that's the main event. Uh, and most of the time, yeah. the storyline called for that. Yeah, but also there, like with WCW Halloween Havoc, there was no themed matches yeah. for that. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, I mean, they had a I mean, Super, Super Brawl. Super, like, really, none of them, except for World War Three and yeah. uh, and War Games, were the only ones that, was that actually had a theme. Yeah. So, like for the WWE, like I almost felt like 
some of the matches that they put into like these Hell in a Cell and Steel Cage and like yeah. Money and like not Money in the Bank, um, like a lot of the themed ones, just like there's no need for this to be a, a theme, like a, yeah. a, a like this. The rivalry doesn't call for this. Yeah, you know, like I, I kind of had that point with uh, Triple H versus Batista at Mania. Their feud didn't call for him to take a pair of pliers to yeah. Batista's nose ring. Like where where in their three week feud was that ever established? You know, and I'm all for like that's the other thing that WWE has to get better on, the consistency of the storylines. Like you'll have a storyline like that that gets brutal really quick, and then you'll have one where it's like for weeks and weeks and weeks a guy just keeps screwing over his tag team partner or doing something like that, and it never gets that brutal. Yeah, you can't say one is one deserves this and the other doesn't. Be consistent. Roll with what the storyline gives you. If it's supposed to be brutal. Make it a brutal storyline. Make the make the match a a no holes barred match. Don't just do it because oh it's the themed pay per view. Like it's, it gets boring. It's repetitive. It gets yeah. it takes away from the creativity of your writers and your performers to be able to make the feud work. And I definitely think that and the continuity isn't there a lot either. I remember when what Bret Hart's first go back to the WWE uh, after you know all those years, and even when he'd come to the announce table and you see Jerry Lauder, he would just sheepishly say, uh, "Hi, Bret." You know, at least there was continuity there. Yeah. I mean, it, it, nothing seems like there's continuity anymore. I mean, no. it seems to me like what wrestling has become is almost a a joke about wrestling. Yeah. What wrestling has become is is basically a satire about wrestling. Like yeah. now it's world wrestling entertainment or WWE or yeah. or just the industry in a whole yeah. is focusing too much on the wrestling and not about the entertainment. If yeah. you, like you go back to like the early 20s and the and the, 19, the even the late 1800s yeah. uh 1920s and, and late 1800s wrestling was literally like two guys that would actually wrestle. And sometimes they would like it was a legitimate contest. Yeah. No one watched. Yeah. It, it would take hours. It too. would take hours, and it was boring, and no one watched, and it was just grapple hold after grapple hold. When wrestling became entertaining, that's when you saw the arenas pack, and the that's 50s, where you, like, the fifties, the sixties. Oh my god, the seventies, the the golden years of the eighties and the nineties. Yeah, like that is that is what makes wrestling. Now it's almost like let's get let's get uh, uh, Mustafa Ali. Uh, and we'll get AJ Styles, and they'll just run around. Yeah, like that's a that's pathetic. It's just got to build a story up. And I think the thing is that somebody, everybody I've talked to who watches wrestling, they always said their grandparents got them into it. Their great grandparents got into it. So the fact that even if their grandmothers and all mm-hmm. this stuff watched it, it the key is should be this: it's a story, good versus evil. Yeah. You know, where well, it, sometimes evil doesn't, where good doesn't always triumph. It's, but. it's funny because I started watching wrestling on my own fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was a wrestling fan, but yeah. he, I guess, he just never really watched um especially like once it, once the attitude era ended um i i kind of got started in the ruthless aggression era and then mm-hmm. my mom like made a stop she was like this is not this is boring this is pathetic yeah it's taking up my tv time we're not i'm not gonna watch this mm-hmm. went to high school and then i got back into wrestling when i was in college because a couple of the friends i was living with were watching wrestling and i, I kind of got back into watching and i was like this is this is kind of interesting i was the shield was still yeah. around and then they broke up and uh it was interesting to me now, like, it's just gotten so boring. Like, I, I try to watch a couple of pay-per-views every once in a while. I kind of hang up with a couple of friends and watch the pay-per-views, but they're just boring and pre- predictable, and the stories don't really go anywhere, and it just feels like it's... And I honestly feel like that, that what I said before, wrestling has almost become a satire about wrestling. 
because now it's just, you know, what do the hardcore wrestling fans really want? They want great contests. They want spot fests. They want spot fests. And that's what they become. And it's boring. It's pathetic. It's become what, what I hate about indie wrestling. It's yeah. just spot fests. And or the blood and guts and all that, the the, uh, the fluorescent light bulbs and all that. Okay, I mean, I yeah, know there's so, some CZW on upstate in yeah, New Jersey. The, the, uh, like WWE's supposed to be the happy, the happy medium between <laughs> the CZWs of the world and the Ring of Honors. Where like I tried to watch a Ring of Honor pay per view one time, I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't make it out of the first three matches because it was like open with grappling and then spot, spot. Spot, 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 spot. And like they're kicking out of things that like they should not kick out of. Yeah. Like I think there was one guy who did this move. I, I don't know the actual name of the moves, but it was like he had a guy in a headlock and then he picked him up and he was doing like the, the, the jackhammer and then he went to go do the jackhammer but like tossed him and put his knees back and the guy landed back first on his knees. Yeah. Incredible move. Yeah. Guy kicked out of that after a two count. Yeah. Like, are you joking? And it was, it was like a one, two kick out. I'm like. No, it should have been like. One, two, yeah, oh, he out. just yeah. barely kicks out, yeah. if you're going to kick out at all. Like, that that made that move look so weak. It took the piss right out of the move. Yeah. Like, and, that, and that's everything nowadays. Like, I, I said it before, I was like, what are people's finishers anymore? Like, yeah. there used to be a time where, like, your finisher defined who you were. Yeah. Like, the Stone Cold Stunner, because yeah. Stone is a bar, you know, in yeah. a bar brawl. The Tombstone. Boom. Tombstone, because it was the undead. Uh, the choke slam was yeah. Big Show's move. The the spear the spear defined edge. The ultimate opportunist. The spear coming out of nowhere. Yeah. The RKO. Yeah. Which has been able to to become a meme. Yeah. And it's probably <laughs> to, pe- to people that like that might be the most popular finisher of all time. Yeah, I mean, and, and I still think it's better as a diamond cutter because the diamond cutter. Oh, the, the diamond cutter. The 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 parodies that Canyon that Chris Canyon would always do when he was positively Canyon, probably just. Probably exceed what the RKO would yep. be, but man, I will tell you this: my favorite finishing move right now is by Pirate Party. It's called Gin and Juice. It's a Hurricane Rana into a, into a Diamond Cutter. No, I haven't seen that. That's that sounds cool. Yeah, a Hurricane Rana into a Diamond Cutter. Yeah, he flips him and he just grabs him. And yeah, it's oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and and it actually does put people away. That's the only thing I would say about some of the AEW stuff. There's moves that you, they should have put somebody away a long yeah. time ago. Here's the thing, like. The super kick has become a setup. Yeah. The super kick has become like if you ever make like a like a, a WWE character yeah. in like one of the SmackDown versus Raws or WWE 2Ks, it's become almost like that like grapple move. Like the I'm just gonna go and grapple a super kick. Yeah. Like that's and that's my favorite finisher of all time. Is like I, I grew up like liking Shawn Michaels and um, I'm Ric Flair were a couple of my guys that I really like. Now my all time favorite my all time favorite wrestler is Chris Benoit. And people are always like, oh, but he killed someone. Like, I'm well aware that he did that. Like, don't you don't have to tell me. I know. I watched that Monday Night Raw. I know exactly what he did. And uh, I used to like the Crippler Crossface. Oh, yeah. And God, he was just such a great, like the grit on him and just the, but he was also like technically fluid. Like I, there weren't many of his matches that stunk. Yeah. Like he was always like really technically great. And his match with uh, Kurt Angle at WrestleMania is probably one of the best of all time. Like he was really great, but I like the super kicks, the the figure fours, which I keep forgetting. I always relearn it and then forget it and then relearn it. But I always know I know how to I know how to counter it. You got to flip over. Yeah, yeah, and if you do it right, because the sharpshooters escape. I, like, I like I like it's, the a, sharp, it's a variation yeah. of the figure four, mm-hmm. and it was one time. Yeah, Mister Perfect versus Brett. Brett reversed the figure four and pulled it up into a sharpshooter. Yeah, and that was just 
Wow. I mean, and I always wonder what Brett versus Kurt Angle would have been like. You, that We were robbed of that just because of just uh, timing and things I, like that. I always wondered, like, if you could put a, a match together, what would be your all-time favorite match? And to me, it's Ric Flair versus a guy like Seth Rollins who can carry a match. And you have, like, and, and I think, I honestly think Seth Rollins is a ton of personality. This is a fatal four-way. So you have Ric Flair, you have Shawn Michaels, you have Seth Rollins, and you have Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh yeah, yeah. Together in a four-way, that would be incredible. Yeah, and I think especially you think some of the other guys whose primes got ended early, like Ricky Steamboat with his back injury. Oh, yep. You imagine what had he had another five years into the two thousands wrestling? You know, especially and, when and, and got you big. wonder like guys that just walked away like CM Punk. Yeah, like. The matches he could have had, like imagine CM Punk and Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania. Yeah, like the 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 like those guys, the promos they cut, the fluidity of the of that match, the technical sound of that match, like oh my god, it'd be incredible. But to Shawn's credit, the only match he came back for was that one of those Saudi tag team matches, which again we don't recognize as canon. He has kept up the character of I'm retired. I got retired by The Undertaker. I'm going to hold up that lore. He'll never come back. I don't think he'll ever come back, especially now. Oh, yeah, Sing Undertaker. I forgot Sing Undertaker. We had the perfect opportunity. They were in the same building in the company. But you jobbed out Bray Wyatt, and you jobbed out Sing the Triple H, which that should not have happened. If Sing was going to lose, he should have lost to The Undertaker. If if they could go back and do it again, I honestly wish The Undertaker would have stopped after Brock Lesnar, and the streak was broken. Retire. Done. Ball game. So, you know, retire with the one loss. Him coming back to the company, just like, I don't, I, I, it's kind of lost his aesthetic. Now, Sting comes in, it would be interesting to bring The Undertaker back for one more match, and that would have been the Sting match, and that's it. Because the one against Roman Reigns, I hated that one. The Roman Reigns-Taker match at Mania, the one that's his last match, yeah. was so pathetic a way to go out for him. Like, it made him look like such an old man. Like, that, like don't do that to him. Yeah. This is The Undertaker. This is one of the top three greatest wrestlers in the history of the business. And you make him look like that? Are you joking? To a guy, Roman Reigns now, who the fans hated him. And he's not that good in the ring. Like, he's fine. He reminds, Roman Reigns reminds me of an early John Cena. The, the three moves yeah. of doom. That's all he has. Yeah. Superman, punch, spear, ball game. Yeah. And I think... Man, if even if you had the perfect ending, everybody's like, if you're going to use all this mysticism, you would have Sting versus Undertaker, and then just have King get involved at the end after the match, and they all just disappear forever. Or you have Sting lose to the Undertaker. Sting just said, "I wanted to know," and then you have Undertaker after winning that match do the the gloves, the hat, and the jacket, and that's it. Yeah, send him out with a win. Yeah, even I don't care yeah. if they're 50 years old. You can always have. That match, and yeah. we could always wonder what would have happened and, and ten you, years. And earlier. you could have built it where Sting and Kane are feuding. Yeah, and Sting is like Sting has beaten Kane a couple of times. Like they do a best of five, and he wins like four of them. Yeah, and Sting is sitting here going, "I, you know, I've beaten you now. I want your brother. Yeah, and I'm going to continue to beat you until I get your brother, and have like a have like a match where like he's just brutalizing Kane, like." Like and not not to take like completely like Kane's getting back up and you know Kane's keep Kane keeps fighting and like doing way more than any normal human being would do and then Undertaker comes out and just like all right you wanted me here I am Mania boom yeah. Taker beats Sting at Mania and they all all three of them go out or even just no no verbiage at all mm-hmm. Undertaker points to the sign Sting with the bat points to the sign 
That's it. Done. That's all and we you know, need. And, and, and the hype package is just is mostly Sting, very little Taker, and then eventually the final hype package before Mania is you get Taker saying, Sting, you will rest in peace. Yeah, and just the fact that, I mean, the story, basically, the Crow Sting, the Joker Sting, the little bit I saw was absolutely yep. great, but Crow Sting, just the story, you know, it's based on the Crow, the undead spirit, just... You know, we're looking to put one more soul to rest before he yeah. departs. That's great. And same Phenomenal. with The Undertaker. Fantastic. It's the story writes and, itself. And and that's the thing is, like, I feel like this whole passing of the torch, like The Undertaker passing the torch to Bray Wyatt or passing the torch of, of It's My Yard Now to Roman Reigns, that stuff is so stupid. Yeah. Like, there was no passing of the torch to Undertaker. Who did Undertaker beat was beating Giant Gonzalez, the one that put him over? Like, no. Like, it, and really, people should go back and look at that match. That ended by a disqualification where Giant Gonzalez used chloroform to make to knock out The Undertaker. Like, stop it. This idea of torch passing only happened once with Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels. And really, didn't even last that long because Shawn Michaels was out in like three more years. Yeah. There's, there is, in wrestling, there's very few moments where the torch has been passed. The WWE's trying to make it seem like, oh, it's every single time now. Like Every time a wrestler from the past faces a wrestler now, it's it's the passing of a torch. It's not. Yeah, I mean, now, Cena versus Hogan, I would have liked to see just just yeah. because of the spectacle of it. They are basically, you know. Cena, Cena versus Rock could have been so much better than what it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I always thought, man, it just. It's, it, they should have kept it the once in a lifetime. See, that's a passing. Rock versus Hogan, passing of the torch. Yeah. Hogan versus Cena, passing of the torch. The next one I think the WWE wishes they could have done is Cena versus Punk at Mania. But they, they kind of already did that. They did the Money in the Bank match. But that would have been a once-in-a-lifetimer. I, I honestly don't know what, what other ones would have been because there seems to be no star in the making that captures both Hollywood and, and the WWE right now, like and, Cena does. And they just don't, and they don't want it to be that way either. No, and they don't. A- they, they, want, they want manageable talent. Now, maybe Adam Cole because Adam Cole kind of looks like he could be a Hollywood guy, but Adam Cole is also barely six foot. Yeah. So you need someone that's larger than life, not Braun Strowman, because they seem to be beating that dead horse. Which, man, and with the feats of strength, man, that won me over with him, and then he yeah. just killed his momentum. I always thought, seriously, if you want somebody who could have beat Brock, that you could think legitimately could beat Brock? Braun Strowman. And Bobby Lashley. Bobby Lashley, MMA record. Bellator. And, and, and they don't. They have don't all care. these things, and they don't. Uh, they and don't I, care. You know why? Because Brock's a proven draw. That's their thing. Is like Brock Lesnar is a proven draw for them, I and mean, this is this is probably one of the greatest athletes to ever exist. He's a guy that's gone from wrestling collegiately, and he's one of the best collegiate like Roman Greco wrestlers ever. Mm-hmm. The the records he has in college are incredible, um, and he went from that to doing pro wrestling to being on a like he didn't even try and was on a football team. It was injured too, and still made it to the final cuts. Yeah, he made it to the final cuts of a professional football at and mind you, a professional football team that at the time was a pretty damn good football team. You're talking about the Minnesota Vikings 2004-2005. That was a pretty solid team. Yeah. And they 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 kept a pro wrestler on like they, and they didn't need to sell tickets. They had Randy Moss, they had Dante Culpepper. And he was 29 and hadn't played football in who knows how long if at exactly. all. Exactly. And and he made it that like and then he comes back and he does MMA and you know for what it's worth, really good MMA fighter. And he goes back to pro wrestling and still can put on a great match. Like, Brock is an incredible athlete. So, yeah, people that sit there and hate on Brock and, oh, Brock beat Kofi Kingston. Brock only comes up when he shows up. Well, he's earned that right. Yeah. He's he's 100% earned that right. Now, getting a little old, 
you know, in terms of just him showing up whenever he wants. Getting kind of old that, like, he comes... Like, I really wish that if you put the title on him, he at least shows up th- two times a month. I think that's that's fine. Or, like, actually, like, just keep him heel. Don't ever make him a face. People boo him, but people want to see him. He's a superstar. Make him that, you know? Go out and say, Hollywood, what do you want to do with Brock Lesnar? He can be that big guy in your in your bad guy movie. He can be the 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 brute in any... He can be the... the uh, the uh, oh my god, what was the the boxer from Rocky? I'm losing my mind now. Ivan Drago. He can be your he can be your Drago. You know he can be he can be your big brutal like your big muscle guy that just you know says three words. If he dies, he dies. When Brock Lesnar doesn't speak, that's when Brock Lesnar is the best. Yeah. Because Brock Lesnar's voice is like the 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 old time movie actors, the the no sound movie actors. He can't talk. He has a high pitched voice, almost like this. Like he doesn't sound badass, but. You let him grumble out a couple of lines, oh, he could, like, rip my teeth out. Yeah. He could. And, like, I just think with Bobby Lashley, you had Leo Rush before he ran his mouth yeah. and got himself in trouble. With Leo Rush as a mouthpiece, Bobby Lashley was fierce. Yes, and those two, MMA background or whatever, how you want to do it. And and that's something that's never happened. Like, they've never done Brock versus Lashley. Yeah. They've never done Lesnar versus Lashley. Oh, both of those guys have the same initials, BL. Yeah. Um, there you I go. Mean, they, used to call him Black, they used to call him Black Lesnar. They used to call Lashley Black Lesnar. Yeah, they did. They did. They like, and, and you know what? There you go. That's your feud. The right to have the BL name. There you go. That's your feud. And I forgot he's an army champ wrestler, too. I mean, yeah. this was built, and they just— They don't do it. Yeah. Oh, and, they, I mean, and really, like they, they've, they've kind of dropped the ball on, on Lashley twice. I don't know, like, I don't know how much more he wants to take. Like, the guy has the look, and, I mean, yeah, he can't talk. Like, he, he and he and Brock have the same issue. Neither of them should ever be allowed to speak on a microphone. They don't sound badass. Bobby Lashley sounds like a 14-year-old, and Brock Lesnar sounds like just a classic jock that, like, can't speak. Like, like and you've done plenty of interviews. Like, you've probably interviewed, like, a football player before that, like, uh well uh I, I don't uh, uh know how to uh do uh the, yeah like that's 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 like Brock Lesnar doesn't uh a lot yeah he just doesn't like his voice isn't very intimidating it's like three word answers that's pretty much it and he and he's not very good at giving answers too but like Brock Lesnar looks very intimidating his voice is not very intimidating like you've I've heard him in interviews before he just doesn't sound intimidating but that being said Bo- Brock versus Bobby that could have headlined a mania yeah. And you let the you let the managers speak, Leo Rush and Paul Heyman. There's a torch passing moment right there. That could have been interesting. Brock would have won, obviously. Yeah. But Bobby Lashley still comes out looking badass. Yeah. I thought Braun Strowman would have come out from that feud looking badass. But then you like it's like a ten minute match against him and Brock. I think that they may they may have. I don't think they ever fought. Uh, or they might have. They it was probably in. Uh, I think it was in Saudi Arabia, which again I didn't see. I think it was that the same one with the Goldberg and Undertaker one, maybe. Oh yeah, like a really like a brief, like a five or ten minute match. Like come on, and like I feel bad for Braun Strowman because Braun has had so much momentum. He's the only guy I think to ever build his momentum up twice, have the crowd behind him twice to to the same level, like to the same like Strowman craze level. And both times the WWE did not pull the trigger on him and put him over. It didn't. And now he's kind of stuck. Yeah, and I was going to say Bray, but at least Bray's a two-time champ. And, I mean, that's yeah. and that's saying a lot. Even every time it looked like they killed his momentum, he'd find a way to get it back and win the belt. I and, mean, and really quickly, too. And the other thing about Bray is a lot of the times when momentum was killed, it's because he got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, so at least like that kind of keeps the rub kind of clean on him. But, like, 
his momentum hitting a ceiling, like at least he won the title also. And then for the most part, he's kept his character interesting. Like he's, he's been, you know, very creative. Uh, there was a while there where you kind of got to the point where you're like, how many times is he going to cut the same, like the end is near promo and then lose. Like you kind of were like, all right, start winning or else. But uh, I, God wrestling, I, I could talk about it all day long, but the WWE's biggest problem now is they don't allow the characters to be characters. They want them to be this corporate cut out of whatever they want, and it's killing the WWE. And and that's why you look at AEW. There's a lot of problems with the AEW mm-hmm. crowd size. Uh, I, like the the product is a little too wrestling heavy for me. Schizophrenic when it comes to match style, because then you have the yeah. good matches, the the eighty style matches that Cody can put on and Jericho can put on, and then you have the spot fest everywhere else. Yeah, like like I think wrestling as an industry has to realize there are fans that like the hyper matches, there are fans that like the big slow brooding matches. You need kind of a mixture of both, and and you need to be able to put your card together kind of like how they used to do it back in the 90s where you have that hot match to start, that spot fest to start. I also think you need to kind of change the idea of a spot fest. Like, you shouldn't be doing dives every single match. Certain wrestlers shouldn't be allowed to do the things that cruiserweights do because it kind of ruins the point of being a cruiserweight. And then finally, signify what a finisher is and don't have a match where both guys hit theirs. One guy hits a finisher and wins, and that's it. And calm it down, draw it back, and I think you'll get a better product that way. Yeah, and I think they always talk about Scott Hall. Scott Hall, he would never use a razor's edge in a match he would lose. No. He would maybe gesture for it, but he'd never do it. Mm-mm. I mean, and, and you kept the and you kept the move clean. And just like it took two, uh, I like calling it dirty heat, but two paradigm shifts for John Moxley to beat Kenny Omega. Ridiculous! Like it takes the piss out of the it takes the piss out of the paradigm shift or the dirty deeds or whatever you call it. Yeah. Like one move that like I don't even know like what's the most protected move in wrestling. Hmm. Definitely is not the the stomp after no. you know it took like fifteen times to put on Bray Wyatt and he still kept getting up. I don't know if there is a protected like, move and anymore. I'm fine. I'm fine with an instance like that if it happens once every like five or six years. Like you have you have a guy like Bray Wyatt who takes like five or six stomps, and you're like, God, like because it puts the character over. It makes the fiend look like a badass. But when you're doing that to like AJ Styles, like AJ Styles requires two stomps. You're looking at the stomp. You're like, What is this? What is this move? It's it's like a punch at this point. It's like a, it's like a light slap in the face. Yeah, I it's mean, a minor inconvenience. Just like I mean, RKO might be the only one that I that's, that's protected. The, that's the only one that's protected because I can't think of anything else. And, and even after Seth had to put like five stomps on Brock, and then you had to do fifteen on the Fiend, and, and it still didn't work for the yeah. Fiend. It's like, I, I would think that or the Tombstone is probably the only protected moves yeah. anymore. But like, because I think now, like whenever a guy kicks out of the Tombstone, you're like, oh. Oh my God! Like there was a period where everyone was kicking out of the tombstone, but for yeah. the most part, it's like, oh, that guy just kicked out of the tombstone. Oh my yeah. God! Yeah, it's either the RKO or the tombstone, or or the F five. Yeah, and then but it's... but but like occasionally, I think the F five has the perception of not being protected because Braille do it like seven times to one guy. I think he just wants to punish someone. That in that case, yeah. he wants to punish someone. Just like power bombs, really are probably the only thing that really should be protected. Like if you watch a Vader bomb, as opposed to maybe like. Kevin Nash's jackknife for SIDS. One, that's it. I mean, because Vader legit broke some dude's back with a powerbomb. Yeah, no, Vader was, oh man. oh, man. Also, like, we need more characters like Vader. Like, like also, more guys should wear masks. 
don't know. Like, I, it's like I'm asking it for everyone to wear a mask, yeah. but like. I don't know. It's it's kind of weird. Like Rey Mysterio is like the only guy that wears a mask, or like the theme. Lucha Brothers and Luchasaurus, they 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 okay. they wear masks. But I mean, I guess more in the mainstream. No, ah. like 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 I'm not asking for like maybe a lucha mask. But yeah. I'm asking for like a I don't know like the the fiend style mask, where like just a guy that just throws a mask on or something. Yeah. Also, the WWE has to stop taking the piss out of like good gimmicks, like like the demon from from Finn Balor that killed him. I killed Finn Balor's momentum. They took, they stopped. Like, oh, he's not the demon anymore. He's not going to do the demon anymore. He doesn't like. He did. He did like four or five like pay per views in a row that were high profile matches, and you never saw the demon. Like, what the heck's going on? I understand they wanted to maybe make it special, but to a yeah. point where you haven't seen it for almost a year. It was like okay, it's, like it's gone, and they don't even reference it. And now he's back in NXT. Yeah, which I think is weird. Like. If you're a guy on the main roster and you get sent back to NXT, I would take that 100% as an insult. But for some of these guys... Unless you ask for it. ...are asking for it because they don't like the way that Vince runs the main roster. And that's why, again, I think when Triple H gets in charge of the whole company, which will probably happen sooner than later... Not saying Vince is going to die. I just think that Vince is going to be preoccupied with the XFL. And that ends part one of my interview with Benny Pinella. If you liked this episode, don't forget to share, give a like, and leave a review. You can find this episode, as well as other episodes of the Sports Refuge podcast, by going to the Sports Refuge website, www.thesportsrefuge.com. You can also subscribe to the show wherever podcasts are heard, including Apple, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and much more. Next time, we conclude my two-part discussion with Benny, where we talk about the return of the XFL, what it's like being a Philadelphia sports fan, the impetus behind the Pat and Benny Show podcast, and his ultimate career goals. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge Podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.